You are tuning to another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Jack Johnson. We got three things to get into tonight, talking about this game one win in Cleveland, how good Ryan Yarbrough was, and is he really a trade candidate? Secondly, let's talk about Salvador Perez and the idea of him getting traded. Is it likely, or is it just simply going to be up to him in the long run? And lastly, why the Royals are not going to get a guy that is available right now in Cincinnati. He's a top prospect, but I'm going to tell you why he's not going to be coming to Kansas City. All that is coming up next on Locked on Royals. You are Locked on Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Lockdown Royals your first listen every day. And you can check us out on all those podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. And you can always check us out on YouTube. Just be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe. We've had a lot of subscribers over the last couple of weeks. A lot of downloads, big numbers on the Lockdown Royals podcast. And I really want to thank you, the listener, uh, for all of that. Because this would not be possible without you. And... I think what's so interesting to go over with this team is usually coming up with segment ideas, right? When you're trying to figure out what to talk about on a daily basis. That's what makes our podcast so special. We're not a once a week deal. We're not a twice a week deal. We're every single day. And I know sometimes the times can be a little bit uh, tough. Sometimes I get you the podcast late on a Monday night, sometimes early on a Tuesday morning. It's kind of up in the air based off my schedule. But what stays consistent is usually five episodes a week. Now, a little programming note here for everybody who does tune in here. We will not have a show on Friday. I'm going to be out of town, but we will have a special guest joining us on Thursday. So we've got a pretty good interview to go over there, and that should be a very fun time and talking about this Kansas City team. And I want to get back to the point of why it's so difficult at times to come up with segment ideas, right? You, you can go over trade hypotheticals all the time. You can talk about guys that are thriving, but when the team's losing a lot, right? When the team's losing at the magnitude that they are, you know, on pace for 116, 117 losses, it's hard to find optimism from time to time. Uh, not time to time. Let's just go all the time. It is really difficult to find that optimism. Now, sometimes with bad teams, you've got you know, great farm systems and you have a top end prospects that are going to be making their debut in September. There's guys I'm excited to see. But are they going to be perennial all-stars? Are they going to be on this team in two years? That I'll never know. I, I guess I could say we will know eventually down the road, but I can't make that bet right now. I, I couldn't tell you who down in double-A, triple-A, high-A, low-A is going to be a, a mainstay in Kansas City. But on tonight's like or on nights like Monday night, when you go into Cleveland, you just got swept in the Bronx, you lost three of four to Detroit, you're just looking for something. You're just looking something to, to smile about, to feel good about. Because when you are 45 games under 500, it's not about wins and losses anymore. And you've heard me say it on this podcast before. It's not about wins and losses. Okay, when you are 45 games under 500, a win in July, it's not going to do anything for you in the standings. Right? It's, more, it's mainly about feeling good. It's about watching your team 
play a fundamentally sound game for the most part, not always with the Royals. Uh, you're hoping for a great pitching performance. You're hoping for maybe one or two of the young guys to thrive. And tonight, I think we've got a couple of those things. Michael Garcia homered, though it was less than 350 feet. Ryan Yarborough dealt for six innings, one run ball. And that was after he made a start right before the All-Star break in Cleveland. So he had only allowed, I believe, two runs over 11 innings at Progressive Field. Now, it's not the best lineup in baseball, but that's a team that's competing for a wild card spot. That's competing for an American League Central crown. I'll take it from Ryan Yarbrough. And let me get this very straight here. Ryan Yarbrough has been the best pitcher this month for Kansas City, and it ain't even close. I mean, not even within shouting distance. Is anybody remotely close for how Ryan Yarbrough has looked in the month of June? Or July, excuse me. He's been that good. And it's not anything flashy. He doesn't go out there and strike out 11 like Alec Marsh. You know, he doesn't throw complete game shutouts. What he does and what he's done since coming back from a gruesome and horrific injury is go out there, throw strikes, limit the hard contact, keep the ball in the yard, have a low pitch count, throw a quality start. That's been Ryan Yarbrough. When he threw on Wednesday last week against Detroit, that other run that came home to score was when Carlos Hernandez was pitching. Like Ryan Yarbrough, I tip my cap to him. I tip my cap for what he's done for Kansas City this year. And I can't say that I was all on board when the Royals signed him. You know, back in the offseason, it was fine. Nothing about his stuff really stuck out to me. I thought he'd always be a long reliever. You know, guys are getting shelled. You just need a spot start here and there. I think Ryan Yarbrough has turned himself into a trade piece. I do think now he's going to be one of the guys the Royals try and flip, not for the return, more so to open up a spot, maybe for a guy like Anthony Veneziano, uh, maybe for a guy like Cole Reagans. But I tip my cap to him. If that's the last time we see Ryan Yarbrough pitch in a Royals uniform, I know not a lot of people are going to remember Ryan Yarbrough a couple of years from now. But what he did out there on a baseball diamond, that's cool to see, man. And that takes a lot of stones. That is some big-time courage for a guy that took a 106-mile-an-hour line drive to the face and is now coming back and pitching and pitching very effectively. Right, He was great against Cleveland, great against Detroit. He was even great the game that he got hit in the face against Oakland. And he's come back and he's just been fantastic for this rotation. You know, enough. And tonight, you know what he did? He was the guy to go out there on the bump, give you six innings, give the bullpen, not the night off, but rest up the bullpen a little bit. You only used Jose Quas, Carlos Hernandez, and Scott Barlow in the end. Not every guy in the rotation can say that. Most of these guys are so inconsistent, you can't count on them in game one of a series on the road and give you six strong, six innings, one run ball. Sometimes they do. More often, they're going to struggle. They're going to have those nights where they give up six runs in three innings. Or Jordan Lyles, who you give up four runs in the first inning in the Bronx. Like that stuff, that can hurt your bullpen. Right? Zach Granke's last couple starts, they haven't been good. But Ryan Yarbrough has been really good. He's been this team's best pitcher, starting pitcher, that is, in the month of July. I tip my cap to him. He was great on Monday night in Cleveland. And he's a guy that I just am continued to be impressed by. I didn't think much of Ryan Yarbrough before this injury, but now I really do. And I hope he gets a chance to go to a contender and maybe pitch in the postseason.
Yeah, Michael Garcia homers. Salvador Perez, who we'll talk about here shortly, he homers in the game. You know, Edward Olivares had a two-run double. Uh, bullpen, shaky. Jose Quas wasn't very good. Uh, I even said in one of my tweets this morning, you can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Jose Quas had been pretty good over the last seven games. Hadn't a lot of run. Uh, walk numbers are still a concern, but his whip was right around league average. That's good for Jose Quas. On uh, Monday night in Cleveland, terrible. Now, gives up two runs. Fortunately, got out of it without any further damage. But that, to me, felt like a more realistic outing for Jose Quas. Now, he's not a guy where you just look at his ERA and say, hey, he's pretty good. No, you got to look at some of the advanced numbers there. You got to look at the walk numbers. Uh, the inherited runners situation is just a disaster with him. He wasn't very good. Carlos Hernandez, nails. He's been nails. And I still think he's a great trade chip. But if he's not, love to see him closing out some games in the final two months of the season. Scott Barlow, shaky. Once again, really, really shaky. And I know that we're probably coming up on the final couple days that he's a Kansas City Royal. But I did like to see that you know, Pierce Johnson, who was traded Atlanta Braves on Monday morning, that the return Colorado got was maybe more than I would have expected Scott Barlow to get. You know, a number 10 prospect in the system, number 24 prospect, a guy with a 32% K rate, a 23-year-old in double-A who had pitched at the AAA level, a struggling guy at 25 in double-A. That's a return I am more than okay with, with Scott Barlow. And maybe you wait till the final day. Maybe you wait till August 1st and say, hey, we'll wait for teams to come calling us. Or maybe you act on it this week. Maybe you're seeing the downward trend for Scott Barlow and say, it's time. Uh, we got to get uh, some prospects in here to our farm system. And we got to move on before maybe an IL stint happens. Or worse, he just continues to pitch poorly. And maybe that'd scare off some, some teams like it did for Taylor Clark. But he does lock it down. The Royals get it done 5-3 against the Cleveland Guardians. They snap a five-game skid, one game away from 30 on the season. Still 44 games under 500, but you take what you can get. You can just celebrate a win. That's what you do now for the 2023 Kansas City Royals. Just, just celebrate. Just smile about it. It was a well-played game. Not many mental mistakes. There was that weird play where the ball went through Matt Duffy's glove, and didn't that just feel like a, a perfect scenario a, a perfect summary of what this season's been like. Nothing wrong in the play, it just went wrong. Now, Bobby Wood Jr., great throw. Good stretch by Matt Duffy. Put his glove where it needed to be. Ball goes through the netting. Goes through the webbing. It's That's just a, a perfect example of how it's gone this year for the Kansas City Royals. But unlike they've done uh, for a long time, they actually win a game. They win game one of a series. Hadn't done that since June June 22nd. I have to go back quite a way since they've won game one of a series. All right. I do want to talk about Salvador Perez because I got a lot of questions about this this morning. And again, you can always reach me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Now, Salvador Perez has 10-5 rights. He can veto any trade. And there's people that are saying, let's go ahead and trade him. There's people saying he deserves another shot. And there's people saying, He's not going anywhere. What do I think? I'll tell you about it next on Locked On Royals. You are tuned into Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. Before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to today's sponsor in Sleeper. I got some fun picks for you. I'm going to make picks for Tuesday's game for the Kansas City Royals and the Cleveland Guardians. 
Zach Grinky will be on the bump for the boys in blue. But I'm going to put a fantasy bet down on Salvador Perez. Now, we homered in Monday night's game. So I'm going to take Salvi to have at least two hits in this game. I feel like there's a stretch that's going to be coming up here where he hits the ball really well. That, that hard hit rate comes back. And he can kind of get back to being a league average hitter because it's been ugly over the last month for him. But I'm sort of expecting a breakout to be coming here for Salvador Perez. So one of my fantasy bets here, I am going to say Salvador Perez gets at least two hits. And I'm going to go to Bobby Witt Jr. in this game. Now, he also had a pair of hits. He had a 109-mile-an-hour double in the first inning, then also had a single later on in the game. I think I'm going to take him to homer in this game. It's It's been a little bit since we've seen Bobby Witt Jr. homer. I'm expecting him uh, to have one of those performances tonight, uh, looking ahead a little bit, against the Cleveland Guardians. And I just think that he's due for a long ball. He's right there with Salvador Perez with home runs for the team lead, and I think he runs into one in Tuesday night's game. Now, with Sleeper, uh, this is the app you want to use with fantasy sports. So do you want to win 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball? Sleeper is now offering up to 100 times the payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like and pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big with Sleeper. I, I sometimes get these debates, you know, going back and forth from time to time with, with fans on Twitter and, and seeing a situation in which, you know, we, we can be passionate. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm trying to get at here. We can be passionate, right? We can have our opinions. We can have our thoughts. And when a team is this bad record-wise, you have to talk about other things. You have to talk about trade hypotheticals. You have to talk about prospects in the minor league system. You have to talk about Matt Couture. You have to talk about John Sherman, J.J. Bacol, the, the whole ordeal here. And Salvador Perez has certainly been a big talking point over the last two to three weeks or so. He's been struggling for one. He's been banged up a little bit. But then there's this idea of trading Salvador Perez. Jim Bowden had an article come out where it felt like the return for Kansas City is more than a dream come true, but that just isn't going to happen. That was a very lofty trade proposal. The Padres would not give up that amount of volume for a guy like Salvador Perez and Scott Barlow, both in down years. But I'm, I'm getting these comments on Twitter about Salvador Perez and what they should do with him. And there's, there's a large chunk of the fan base that says trade him, right? You should trade Salvador Perez and get prospects in return because the Royals are in a spot where anytime you have value, you need to trade that value. You're in a severe rebuild. You're going to lose the most you've ever lost in franchise history, single season, that is. You'll probably finish around 115, 116 losses. So you should be trying to flip any player that has value and get prospects in return. And is Salvador Perez going to be around for the next competitive Royals team, a Royals team that is trending toward the postseason? Likely not. There's always a chance maybe here in a couple of years, a, a 35, 36, 37-year-old Salvador Perez is playing off the bench for Kansas City. But again, I'm not holding my breath on that. The case with Salvador Perez is, I think, a pretty simple one. You don't need to overthink this a lot. Now, he's got 10-5 rights. And for those that don't know what that means, he can veto any trade, right? So J.J. Piccolo in that front office, they can't go behind Salvador Perez's back, negotiate with the Marlins and say, okay, Salvi, you've been traded. Here's the, the number of who you need to call. You're going to the airport right now. You'll suit up for the Marlins tonight. That's not how it works. 
right? And what's going to happen if this really does come to fruition, if this actually is a real thing, which I give it less than a, a 1.5% chance of happening. J.J. Bacall in this front office would go to Salvador Perez, and they would just ask him flat out, what do you want, Salvi? How do you want to have your career remembered, right? How much does that C on your chest mean to you? How much does finishing in Kansas City mean to you? How much does another ring mean to you? And all those questions are going to be answered. And maybe they already have those questions. There is a very good chance this conversation has already happened. They could have had this conversation and Salvi said, I'm fine here. Because it means more to me to finish my career with the team I started with. You gave me the C on the chest. I want to be immortalized. And I want to have the legacy where 10 years from now, I'm brought back and there's a statue being revealed at Kauffman Stadium. And I said this on Twitter because somebody commented to me and said, get rid of Salvi, keep Prada, because I was also asked about how you handle DH once Vinny Pasquantino comes back next year. I said it pretty much relies on Nick Prado, right? If Nick Prado is not a part of the future, easy fix. Vinny Pasquantino plays first base. Salvi can be full-time DH, which I would like to happen. I think Salvador Perez just needs to get from behind home plate Go worry about offense. It happened a lot in his 2021 season when he had a career high in home runs and RBIs. Uh, it's getting him off his feet more. I know he wouldn't like it, but he's going to be 34. Right? He's going to be a little bit older. And catching behind the plate four to five days a week, it's not going to prolong his success. So I think it comes down to Prado. If Prado's a fit for the future, well, maybe you put Prado in left field. I don't like the fit, but he's got to play somewhere. You have Vinny at first base. You could DH South. Because I'm trying to get Salvador Perez, or at least have a couple people that are following me, and go, you know, it makes sense for him to DH full-time. But I'm getting comments, and I'm seeing people say, well, just get rid of Salvi. You know, he's not doing anything for this team. He's not valuable. He is. Okay, I don't need to really have a strong argumentative point as to why Salvador Perez is important. He is the second most popular player in Royals history. And yes, I'm going to go ahead and say that. I don't think that's really outlandish. It's George Brett. It's Salvador Perez. And yes, there are guys from the 2014 and 15 team that are iconic. Lorenzo Kane, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, uh, Alcides Escobar, Ben Zobrist, Alex Gordon. Uh, you have even guys in the rotation, James Shields, Enenson Volquez, Jordano Ventura, Chris Young, Danny Duffy, uh, Jeremy Guthrie, Jason Vargas. You go down the list of those iconic guys. All right, but Salvador Perez has always been the face. He's always been the face of it. Now, when... Eric Hosmer was here. Of course, Eric Hosmer was wildly popular, but all those guys left after 2017. I know Moustakis and Escobar came back on one-year deals. They were gone by the end of that year. Salvi's been there through and through. And I think to him, a legacy worth having is, you know, maybe beginning and retiring with the same team. And I'm sure that he cares about the postseason, but I don't get from Salvador Perez that he's unhappy here or he feels locked away or he feels, you know, just chained up here in Kansas City. I don't think he feels that way. Uh, to me, he feels like a guy that is still playing 110%. He wants to be out there every day. He's still smiling, loves interacting with fans. He's got a home here. I think that he enjoys Miami. I think he'd enjoy playing in the postseason because he loves the game of baseball but I don't think he's trapped here. I think that's the misconception here that we just think because the bad year, 
that Salvador Perez is miserable. I'm sure he's frustrated, right? He First year, he's the captain. This team doesn't even have 30 wins yet, and it's almost August. Right? I'm sure that wears on him, but he loves to play the game, and he loves Kansas City, and he's got 10-5 rights, which I think is the best-case scenario here, right? If Salvador Perez gets traded, you don't need to come pounding on J.J. Bacola's door and say, how could you do this to the fan base? It's going to be completely on Salvador Perez. If Salvador Perez wants to be traded or is okay with being traded, you trade him. That's how this works here. If he wants to go ring chasing, if he wants to get another postseason appearance, he absolutely deserves that. By every single measure, he deserves to go back out there in October and play at a very high level. And if he says, I am happy right here, I would love to finish my career here. You honor him with that, right? That's how this works here. He's worked up enough respect and he is a very honorable guy within the organization. You give him those rights. You give him that power because he deserves it. Okay. You don't need to, you know, treat him like dirt and say, well, we're just going to trade you and you better accept this and, you know, force him out. I know Salvi's struggling, but Again, Salvador Perez struggling isn't what is completely detrimental to this team. His contract is not detrimental to this team. And in all honesty, the return some fans are expecting is not going to be anything close to that if you traded Salvador Perez. He's a very valuable player. He's also 33 years old. He is well below average defensively. He's not good at running the bases. He's there for power, and it's still much of a a down year power-wise. Like That's not going to get you significant returns. For prospects, it's just not. Just like how Scott Barlow's not. You missed your window to trade him if you were ever going to trade him. Now that he's 33, I don't think it makes sense just to trade him to trade him. It would need to be a pretty significant haul to trade away Salvador Perez. And I just don't think it's likely. I really don't. But I do find peace in the fact that it's his choice. It's his decision. If you're going to be upset, you can't be upset at the front office. You can't be upset at Salvi because... If he's endured this, he's endured the last five years, he damn well earns the right to pick what he wants to do. He's the captain. If he wants to retire in Kansas City, right, if he wants to finish out his career, and if that means no postseason appearances, that's his choice. If he wants to go play somewhere postseason baseball with the Marlins or he wants to go to the Dodgers or he wants to go uh, to the Angels, He wants to go to the Braves. I know that wouldn't make sense, but you get what I'm getting at here. If he wants to do that, he's earned that right. I don't think we need to get too up in arms about Salvador Perez being traded because it's only going to come down to him. He wants to be traded. It's going to happen. He doesn't. He's not going anywhere. That's how those 10-5 rights are going to work. All right, before we wrap up our show, I want to talk about another trade proposal here. And I've seen some Royals fans talking about this on Twitter as well. Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds. There really isn't a scenario, and I think, that the Royals make a trade like this, but I'm going to tell you why it just doesn't feel possible. That's coming up next on Locked On Royals. You are tuned into Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 1-5. We just discussed Salvador Perez and, and the hypotheticals for trades, and this other one really caught my eye on Twitter. And this was this morning. And I looked at Jonathan India over there in Cincinnati, a former rookie of the year. 
He was great back in 2021, played around 150 games, WRC plus around 120, OBP over 350. I think he had around 20 home runs. Not great defensively, but still offensively, that was a great year. The next year, a bit of a step back. This year, a bit of a step back. And so you start to wonder to yourself, for a 26-year-old Jonathan India, is the rookie year the outlier here, or is he primed for a bounce back? Now, the Reds are in a spot where they have all this young talent, right? They are just pumping out guys left and right that are top 10 prospects. Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, pitching prospects. They've got them too. Cincinnati's a fun young team. We saw them sweep the Royals in Kansas City. And does Jonathan India fit into that conversation anymore in Cincinnati? Well, it's been reported that they're at least listening to offers. Now, Jonathan India is 26 years old. So he's a little bit older, and which is why I think he's being mentioned in trade conversations. But here's what Cincinnati wants. Cincinnati wants help for the rotation. They need to replace former Royal and Luke Weaver. Everybody else in the rotation is fine. They need a guy that can go in there and log them innings down the stretch and find a way to win the National League Central. That's what they need, step one. Do the Royals have any guy that fits that mold? And no, we're not going to overreact about Ryan Yarbrough. No, we're not going to overreact about Brady Singer. We're not going to overreact about Zach Cranky or Jordan Lyles. No, they don't have anybody that would be worth trading Jonathan India away for. There, there's no way the Royals could offer up any starting pitcher and they would get Jonathan India in return. You would have to package maybe a couple of prospects and guys you don't really want to let go of. I know that we've got our feelings and opinions about the minor league system, about the major league team. But no, the Reds are not jumping at that. If they don't get somebody for the rotation, they're thinking of somebody in the bullpen. Elite reliever. And I mean the elite of the elite. Scott Barlow is not that. And Carlos Hernandez is just now finding success at the big league level. Again, I don't think that's enough to get Jonathan India in return. Now, don't get me wrong. Jonathan India... I think would be a good fit here in Kansas City. I think it'd be fun to see a, an infield of Michael Garcia, Bobby Wood Jr., and Jonathan India. And even him in a down year would be one of the better hitters in the Royals lineup. And 26 years old is, is still young. It's young enough for this team. So if the Royals had pieces of the trade, by all means, I think you try and get it done. But the reality is here, the Reds are not shopping Jonathan India just to get rid of him. They're not just shopping him to say, hey, uh, we have a, a loaded team here. He's on the outside looking in. We'll just take a number four, number five starter. No, they're looking for a number two. They're looking for a number three. They've got an incredibly young rotation. They need a guy that can go out there and give them a quality start every other outing. One every two outings got to be a quality start. The Royals don't have anybody like that. They don't have a prospect that would pop enough to throw into a deal like that, a little sweetener to get Jonathan India. Now, maybe there's conversations being had that completely contradicts what I'm saying. But I just have a gut feeling that Cincinnati, where they're at right now, where they're at in the standings, they're not just bargain bin shopping. They are trying to really add talent to their rotation or to their bullpen because Cincinnati believes the last thing keeping them from running away from the central is stability in that rotation. When they came to Cincinnati or when they came to Kansas City, Uh, They were a team that was really struggling to get innings out of their rotation. It is so young. You know, guys like, you know, Graham Ashcraft. No, you, 
You, you have young guys in that rotation. There was a couple of rookies that started in Kansas City. Now, Luke Weaver did, I believe, start one of those games. Maybe Ben Lively did as well, another former Royal. But overall, they were not averaging many innings, and that was concerning. And so what they're going to want is a guy that they can trust to give them innings, give some rest to that bullpen, because that's going to happen if they don't. That bullpen's going to get fatigued late in September, and if they make the postseason, they win the Central, that bullpen's not going to be built up enough to give them a long run in the postseason. It's going to be tough to. So they're going to shop Jonathan India for a guy that they can turn into a number two, a guy that they can put in the setup role. Royals don't have any of that. And that's unfortunate because I think Jonathan India is a talented player, and I think it would excite me with him in Kansas City, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. If you're really talking yourself up for the Jonathan India trade, don't. Until there's a report that the Royals are interested and the Reds are interested in a deal. Other than that, it's just talk. It's just trade deadline talk. Well, that'll do it for another episode of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, check us out on all podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and you can check us out on YouTube. Just be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe. And you can comment there. Ask me any questions, give me segment ideas, or you can do that on Twitter. At JohnnyJ underscore 15 is my handle. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.